Hello everyone, and welcome to the very first episode of the Horror from the High Desert podcast. I'm your host, Scotty Milder, and uh, yeah, thank, thank you very much for joining uh, for this, I guess, what would you call it, a maiden excursion, virgin excursion, however you want to put it. I'm guessing most of you guys probably know who I am if you've managed to make your way over here, but just in case you don't, just a little bit about me. Uh, like I said, my name is Scotty Milder. I'm a horror writer. I've been publishing pretty consistently since 2019. You can find some of my stories in such places as Dark Moon Digest, Dark Matter Magazine, Cosmic Horror Monthly, and then anthologies from such places as uh, Hellbound Books, Dark Moon Books, Sinister Smile Press, Dark Peninsula Press, a whole bunch more. Basically, just uh, either head on over to Amazon and put my name in, or you can go to my website, which is uh, scottymilder.com, and you can find pretty much everything listed there. Before that, I worked in the film industry as a screenwriter and a filmmaker. Got hired to work on some independent films. Uh, sold a few screenplays. None of them have been produced. <laughs> Pretty typical uh, Hollywood story. Also sold a couple TV pilots. And I do have a feature film. Uh, you can find it online. It's called Dead Billy. You can find it on Amazon Prime and I believe on Google Play and maybe a few other places. So check that out. If you're interested in any of my short films, you can also go to vimeo.com slash scottymilder. I'll put uh, links to all these things in the show notes. And yeah, and I've kind of returned to my first love, which is writing horror fiction. Um, I've also been teaching screenwriting and film production here in New Mexico for the last, I think, 13 years, something like that. <laughs> um, and I do host another, or I should say co-host another podcast. It's called The Weirdest Thing. I think some of you guys probably uh, found your way over here from that. I co-host that with my friend Amelia Ampuero. It's not a horror podcast. It's, uh, I, I would say, the best way to just describe it if you want to just kind of get a sense of the vibe of that one is sort of like stuff you missed in history class but um with way more uh f-bombs uh so if that sounds like your bag you ought to go over and check that one out i'll go ahead and post a link to that uh in the show notes as well so a little bit about this podcast um this is another horror fiction podcast. <laughs> I don't have a cool, clever gimmick or anything like that. This is just uh, an excuse for me to talk to cool people. Uh, specifically, I'm going to be mostly focused on horror writers, but I'd like to have you know maybe some actors on, uh, other filmmakers, you know, even musicians. Uh, just just kind of cover the gamut of everyone who's kind of a creator in this weird, fucked up genre that we all seem to love so much. And even though I am a horror writer myself, I'm I still sort of fundamentally think of myself first and foremost as a fan of the genre. So uh, with that in mind, uh, my very first guest this week is uh, one of my best friends. She's been one of my best friends for almost two decades now. I met her uh, when I was going to graduate school in Boston. This is Mandy Connor. Um, a little bit about Mandy. If you do listen to the Weirdest Thing podcast, you might uh, remember I had her on last year as a guest fill-in host uh, last summer. Mandy's a wife. She's a mom. She's also a former publishing professional, and she's currently a super successful high-end wedding planner in Boston. So if you're looking to get married and you're on the East Coast, you can do way worse than seeking out her services. So I'm going to go ahead and also post a link to her website in the show notes. The reason I'm having Mandy on is uh, she, like me, is just a big fan of the genre. You know, she's not a horror writer herself, but uh, 
but she loves the genre. She and I have been talking about horror movies, horror novels for two decades now. And so it just seemed like she had to be the first guest on Horror from the High Desert. So with no further ado, let's go ahead and jump right in. Uh, we're going to be mostly talking about the movie Skinamarink and Infinity Pool. We're going to touch on a few other things as well. I do want to just say a uh, general spoiler warning. If you haven't seen the movies that we're talking about, I would go ahead and hit the pause button, go check those out, and maybe come back later. Um, all right, so let's do it. He gets super... Um, uh, Super appropriate that this very first guest is Mandy. <laughs> so, <laughs> go ahead and introduce yourself. Hi, I'm Mandy. I am Scotty's first podcast interview on his new <laughs> podcast series, which is great. I feel like um, setting a, a baseline here, like starting at dog shit levels with me as your first interview, means you're only going to get better from here. Like, it can only go up. So I am thrilled to be your first Bitcoin <laughs> interview on this podcast. Thank you for having me. Well, if anyone uh, has listened to, and, and I think a lot of the people who are going to be listening to this have kind of come over from the original podcast, The Weirdest Thing, which I do with my friend Amelia, um, you will remember that I had Mandy on last year. And uh, we had a super fun time talking about horror movies. And so, yeah, we're going to do it again. And yeah. basically what uh, I, I want yeah. to make a promise to you. Okay. Uh, so I feel like the last time we did a podcast together, it was basically me being nervous excitement in during which I curse a ton. And it was, it was like culling information from between excited F-bombs. So this time <laughs> I'm going to try to rein it in and and wow. go here on the information and, and a little lighter on the F-bombs. But please know I mean, I'm, I'm certainly not going to go lighter on the F-bombs. So. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you do whatever you need to do. But <laughs> um, I'm just going to fucking curse the whole way through this thing. So, <laughs> um, Well, when I told Mandy I wanted to start this new podcast, and I said I wanted to have her on basically like right away, the first thing you said, I mean, I think within like, 30 seconds of me saying that you were like you need to watch skin of our ink and you need to watch <laughs> <laughs> so i was like oh okay we got our first uh first episode topic so i did uh i did watch them and um that's what we're gonna be talking about today so first i guess i want to hear what you particularly i'm really curious what it seemed like skin of ink had a pretty big impact on you yes this was this was um i i feel like this I'm I feel like I'm in I'm living in such a great time for horror where we are we're watching horror go through um a real enlightened a period of enlightenment mm -hmm. where I feel like there's so much beautiful experimentation taking place there's elegant horror coming out people are starting to recognize that horror has been overlooked as a genre as an, mm -hmm. as its place in elevated cinema um it feels like we're now watching horror sort of come into the light which is mm -hmm. we're giving it the the honor it deserves let me also go back and talk about why like what the hell am i doing on this podcast why am i <laughs> let, me, let me like validate my presence here okay yeah. so what's my day job my day job is i am a wedding planner right. i plan beautiful luxury weddings i help people who are happy and joyful plan the best day of their lives i live in the light i live in the sun <laughs> And then at night, I need this amazing yin to that yang, which mm -hmm. is I love to tuck in with some really freaky horror. 
mm-hmm. at night. I will even basically, if I'm planning your wedding, you know that I'm probably at home answering emails while I'm also watching some really insane jacked up horror <laughs> movies. So yeah. that's that's how my my brain works. Right. I need I need that um, baseline balance to the stimulation. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So um, I will also say a lot of my thoughts and opinions around horror stem from the fact that I was raised Catholic. And so embedded with a lot of, you know, funky, weird belief systems from a very young age, which I I think has sort of helped to shape a lot of my thoughts around horror, which is why I have um, some interesting thoughts around Skinnamarink. Okay. Okay. And just uh, real quick before you, before you dive in, just for those of you who don't know, I mean, I think most people probably heard of it at this point. Um, Skinnamarink, it came out, uh, I think it technically came out last year, although I certainly didn't hear about it until this year i think it released on shutter earlier this year um it's directed by kyle edward ball and it was i mean i don't know i'll let you describe it because it's uh it was made for fifteen thousand dollars and it's it's an experience it's and also it's i think this is a really great movie to kind of start with because i've been watching the reaction online with horror fans and i can't remember the last time i've seen a horror movie that is both as hated and as loved as this one seems to be like (laughs) i mean there is no in between with this movie it's polarizing for sure yeah 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 so so okay so yeah what what was it about this movie that kind of hit you all right, so Skinnamarink came onto my radar. Um, you're right. It was a few months ago. Uh, we're we're doing this podcast in early May. I want to say it was mm-hmm. maybe like beginning of the year. Um, it, it flew onto my radar. My friend Chris right. is a member, another member of the very famous New England chapter of Stephen King Book Club. Weird. <laughs> it's a joke. We're not famous at all. There's only four members. Um, <laughs> But he was telling me about this sort of this super under the radar horror movie that was actually getting some first run showings mm. around Boston. He was going to oh, go. Interesting. To- so they actually showed it in theaters out there. It did. It did. Oh, which okay. is crazy having now seen it and thinking that anyone went to see this in the theater. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, envision like it is very experimental. Mm. Um, Everything is, it's not intentionally shot in black and white, but for the lack of natural light in the film, I think it appears Mm. black and white. The whole concept is disassociation. So like disassociation of audio, um, not a clear understanding of what you're looking at or from perspective, not understanding the passing of time or what time period you're in or sort of even who's around you at any given moment, you are mm-hmm. very, very disassociated the entire time, which I love that confusing feeling in horror. Yeah. I like knowing where I stand. The movie itself is very quiet. And a lot of the fear- Very quiet. Very quiet. And I, yeah. I think a lot of the fear comes from how quiet consistently it is. It almost lulls you into, there are periods of time where you're thinking like, God, when the fuck is something going to happen? This is almost boring. <laughs> <laughs> and then and then something happens that is so quiet and subtle and you're like, oh God, that was insane. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, it is a very soft, quiet, slow burn. But when things happen, I think they are deeply impactful and deeply mm. like horrifying, you know? Um, and also so much of it is open to interpretation. What mm. you're what you're seeing is very much open to interpretation. And I want to talk about there were five. So, you know, in doing some research, there were five results or five things that people proposed as as being sort of the solution to what we were watching. And I'll talk more about those. But 
I will say there were only a, a few jump scares in this movie. The concept is it's two children alone in a house. Right. And it's sort of. And it's kind of that simple, really. That's it. It's two children alone in a house. Yeah. But the quiet things that are happening in that house, um, the the usage of light. I mean, there's almost no light in the house. Most of the light comes from the TV mm-hmm. that is on at all times. Right. But it, it's essentially, a, I want to say, a five-year-old and a seven-year-old or a six-year-old and an eight-year-old. Yeah, it's so- like a brother and a sister. It's never super clear. Right. There's a little brother named Kevin and an, a sister named Kaylee, and they are alone in this house for a very extended period of time. Right. And so that's sort of what happens from there. You're hearing disassociated voices. You're hearing their conversations, which are primarily whispered. Mm-hmm. The loudest sound in the house is um, this like old timey cartoons, like black and white cartoons right. that are shown on TV all the time. But that's sort of the baseline of what you're watching. And there's not a whole lot more to the movie. No, I mean, and and it does like when you describe it, like it could sound really boring, and I, and that's the that's one of the big criticisms I've seen from people is like, oh my god, this movie's so boring, nothing happens, and I get it, I totally get it. Like this is definitely, I had to think about this movie a few days before well, we talked. High about level it. take. Do you did you like it or not like it? I did. I, I I come down on the I did like it, and I and I knew I liked it right away. I knew it had like an impact on me. But it was such a strange kind of, it put me in such a strange kind of emotional place that I had to kind of untangle that a little bit. Now talk more about that because I felt the same way. Mm -hmm. Tell me more about how you felt emotionally. Well, I think there's something about this. You said experimental and I'm going to say like, I'm not sure if I would have appreciated the movie as well as I did, because I tend to be very like, like straightforward, almost traditional narrative focus. Like I want a beginning, middle and end. I want characters that I can empathize with and like, you know, understand. I love, I love to I want, float in confusion. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And no, I, I, I can tend to be pretty, you know, as much as I like things to be fucked up and like push boundaries in terms of like story structure, I have a tendency to be like pretty traditional. And so I think a part of me would have like really resisted this movie if I hadn't gone to film school and like watched some actual experimental film. And before people are like, Oh my God, this dick bag's going to start talking about experimental film and like start reaching for the off button. Like, you know, I just want to say, like, you know, it it wasn't necessarily my thing. It it came up in various classes, and it took me a while. Over time, I kind of like I was able to sort of watch some of this stuff and kind of pick apart, like, okay, here's the stuff that's just like intellectually pretentious, and it's like someone's, you know, like doing a tone poem about the like the medium of video versus what you know. I mean, it's like just. A lot of it would add up to a big pile of like who gives a shit, but then like <laughs> you would have these certain movies that would come through that weren't narrative, but they had this thing, this this ability to kind of bypass all that, you know. And like uh, there's one movie in particular, and I was actually I did look up to say I was like this had to have been an influence on Skin of Ink. Uh, it's a movie, uh, I forgot to look up the date, but it's from I think the late 60s, early 70s. It's called uh, Wavelength. Uh, by a guy named Michael Snow and all of it it's like Skinamarink you know if you describe it it sounds really boring it's like it's it's a camera set up in a wide shot in a big like loft apartment probably in New York or something and it just slowly zooms in for over about 
40 minutes or something onto a picture on the opposite wall, a picture of like a seascape. But over I the course- I watched it. I watched it after you Oh, you mentioned. did? Okay. Yeah. So, mm -hmm. Interesting. I'm yeah. really curious what you think about that. Because like that was, I remember watching that in my film school classes and people, and it, like Skinamarink, it was people were like either, oh my God, that was amazing. Or what the fuck was that? <laughs> you know, like no in-between reaction. Because it has the sound design and this kind of squeal that like goes throughout the entire movie. I found I found it and Skinamarink like deeply unsettling on kind of a very similar level. Um, where it's like I wasn't even sure what it was that unsettled me. But it was just this feeling of just being somehow untethered from reality and it really like it's about the you know people talk about like movies they talk about like nightmare logic or like oh it feels like a nightmare it feels like a dream and i always feel like that's like kind of a cliche what I, but what i feel like skinnering does really well is it really captures that feeling not of being in a nightmare because you know when you're in a nightmare everything makes sense and when you've been awake for like an hour and have had your morning coffee or whatever, you can look back on the nightmare and be like, that was fucking weird. But like now you're like in your day, you know, the worst part of a nightmare is that in between space when you just wake up and you're like coming out of the nightmare into the real world. And you're like, wait, what was that? Like, was that real? What what was going to, you know, it's that just that, that like you're saying floating in a sea of confusion. And I was thinking about it as like, um, like I said, just like being untethered, like like you don't quite know who you are, where you are. But there there are still rules. There are still facts, mm -hmm. and there are rules that you understand mm -hmm. as you're moving through the film. It's not. I mean, yes, I watched Wavelength, and I found it was a lot harder to latch onto some of the rules. Like I yeah. need to understand at least the baseline rules to what I'm experiencing. Yeah. You and know? that's where Skinamarink, like, it has just enough of that narrative, like what I was saying, the kind of traditional narrative that you, it does give you something to latch onto. Like, I can see, like, Wavelength is, like, you're just like, what, you know, what is this? It's, it's you don't know whose eyes you're looking through. You don't know what you're looking at. And, you know, it's, it's much more purely I found, experimental. I found Wavelength much more manipulative in that, like, I watched it through and then I went back and I just sort of, like, quick mm -hmm. flicked through it because you can understand how the sound the wavelength tone oh, increases yeah. over time which is extremely aggravating it's right. like <laughs> it's meant to aggravate you over time you know mm -hmm. and it, it, like, it affects you on a very like in a, in a very primal way i feel mm -hmm. like it was, it was very manipulative skin when compared to wavelength is way more you know way more like ex like maybe saying that it's experimental is lazy on my part because i just don't know how to categorize it well you know? it's it's, a, it's an experimental film like i think it's an experimental film but it 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 does have enough narrative that it does give you a sense of place and character right so you've got you've got two children right and one let's call it an entity which mm -hmm. is only it for most of the film is only heard it's, it's like a whisper, seen, yeah. Yep, it's seen one time and not mm -hmm. clearly, okay? Right. So the, you're, you're living within that world. You know that you are inside a house. In the beginning, there are parents. As time goes on, there are no parents in the house. So that creates this sense of, which I found horrifying as a child, complete isolation, mm -hmm. like separation from your parents, separation from an adult who's in charge, confusion and isolation. I mean, it really creates that sense. And mm -hmm. then you start to see, you're like, okay, I'm in a house. I'm all by myself. 
I'm a child. That's kind of the point of view that they put you in. Mm -hmm. Um, But then you start to see weird things start happening. For Mm -hmm. example, like the windows disappear, the doors disappear, the toilet eventually disappears. So you start to see like these weird, you know, um, alternative things begin to happen. But so much of the horror, I think, is the child concept of horror being separated from your parents and just being isolated. Well, and alone. it's it's the idea. It's the idea of the uncanny, which is a it's a Freudian term, which basically means the strangely familiar, and it it means you know the idea of something being uncanny is like something that is familiar to you suddenly becomes alien and and threatening, and you don't quite know why. Stephen King talks about it as um when he talks about his whole three levels of terror or three levels of horror, this is terror is the finest emotion. It's like a whisper in the dark. It says it's like coming home and realizing that everything in your house has been replaced by an exact replica. You know, it's the invasion of the body snatchers thing. It's the, like this person that I've known my whole life is like, somehow I know that this isn't actually the person that, you know, they're appearing to be. And Skinnamarink really like plays in that realm because like, like, for me, some of the stuff that didn't work as well as some of the stuff you just mentioned, like the doors disappearing, because that stuff I could look and be like, well, that, that like, I can see how you do that with a camera. Then it felt like a camera thing. The stuff that really unsettled me was, like, the stuff in the bedroom with the mom. Like, <laughs> and again, like, what the fuck even happens there? It's, it's like, Nothing. I think it's Kaylee. Nothing goes in and she's talking to her mom who's suddenly there who's there we see the mother sitting on the bed right we never see her face she's just like it kind of in shadows we hear her voice we don't really understand even the context of what they're talking about and it was so just made <laughs> like my skin crawl all the way down through my rib cage like, i hated it i i loved it <laughs> i loved it and i hated it because everything that was happening in that moment it wasn't even subtle that was an amazing scene because you see very clearly things that horrify you like I've watched the movie twice through now and that scene is is one of my favorites in the movie because what you watch doesn't make sense it is so fucking terrifying like anxiety attack the whole time over what was going to happen next and Mm -hmm. it's just very subtle it's not the obvious jump scares you do not know at any point in time What's going to happen next? Yeah, I'm trying to think if there's anything in there I would even really categorize as a jump scare. I mean, there's some sound there stuff, so, probably. So I say they. I was reading some media recaps. Uh, they, <laughs> the media recaps, were saying one of the only jump scares that you see was when they show Kaylee's face later on when Kaylee has been, air quote, punished for oh, not yeah, following yes. Entity and something about her face has changed. I'm trying to do this this whole recap without like spoiling shit. There's not a lot that can be spoiled in this movie. And by right- the way, I'm gonna just I'm just gonna put it out there. This is the first episode. I don't worry about spoilers. Like just general okay. spoiler warning, and I'm gonna put it because I think when we get to okay. Infinity Pool, we have to talk. Like okay, so it's like okay. if you okay. haven't sure. seen the movie, go watch the movie before you listen. To this. Pause. Pause the podcast. Watch the movie. Come back. Right. Okay. So we're looking at Kate. So can I now use descriptive terms when spoiling everything for everyone listening? Yes. Okay, great. Kaylee has no fucking mouth and eyes when we see her in one still frame. And Mm -hmm. it it goes from being very quiet. I want to say in that moment, there happens to be a a louder audio situation. It's not a voice. It's just a louder audio. I don't even remember what it is because it's not like a boom, you know, like like a sting or whatever. But but the audio shifts and suddenly you're like tense. 
Yeah, but we see that Kaylee, that is the only, uh, my understanding is that's the only face shown in full frame in the I whole movie. Everything else yeah. is side profile or back profile. The only time we see Kaylee's full frame face, she has no eyes and no mouth. <clears throat> and we are told that she was punished because she wasn't following the rules. Right. So then that leads us to what are we looking at? And, and of course, like right from the beginning, you're trying to figure out what am I experiencing right now? So there's five theories about what you're experiencing in this movie. Mm -hmm. Now it said very early on that Kevin uh, bumped his head in a sleepwalking accident. We understand that that is one of the rules that we're living by in this world because dad is on the phone with someone very mm -hmm. early on before anything starts to happen. He says, oh, that's Kevin, right. That's right. Yeah. Kevin was sleepwalking. He bumped his head, but he seems to be fine. So there's five theories around this. Okay. Why do we need that piece of information? One, Kevin could be in a coma mm -hmm. in the real world, which would explain the disassociated audio. Well, and, and that kind of sense of almost being trapped in a nightmare kind of. Yep. And, and yeah, you're right. Yeah. That could be the sound of the cartoon and the whispers. Mm -hmm. It could all be percolate. Oh, that's an interesting theory. So there's coma. Yeah. Okay. Then there's concussion, which mm -hmm. would be, okay, Kevin's just super duper out of it right now. He doesn't understand what's going on around him. He is awake right. and experiencing the world, but it's fucked up. Of course, the most basic, is this a nightmare? Is mm -hmm. this just a children's nightmare stemming from childlike horror? Totally. Right. The one that I was least interested in, but that came up first in conversation was aliens. Eh, I mean... <laughs> Whole, I mean, everybody... you really got to want it to like have that be the explanation. Well, I don't want it to be aliens. Right. So, but it came from like, why are the toys sticking to the wall? Is it aliens? You know, eh, I don't want it to be aliens. My favorite, which is always my favorite because I'm basic, it's a fucking demon. Mm -hmm. I love demons. I mean, and it's got like, I mean, even the very last image sort of hints at that, you know? Totally. Yes. Yeah. I mean, it could very easily be a demon. So that would go back and be like, okay. Why is Kevin told to repeatedly stab himself in the eye and then presumably it gets undone? Mm -hmm. I mean, do you remember that scene? Like, mm -hmm. Entity right. says, like, stab yourself. And Kevin, like, does it a bunch of times. And we're led to understand that it is undone several times. So, right. and the alien says, or not demon, demon says, like, I can do and undo whatever I want, which mm -hmm. is so awesome. I like, you know, for me, because I've read some, and I've definitely read a lot of people talking about the nightmare theory, which is the most obvious, even going to the fact that where the director, uh, Kyle Edward Bell, got a lot of the imagery for this film, I guess he had done like a series of YouTube shorts, where he basically took people's night i haven't watched them but he basically took people's nightmares and like kind of explored them on youtube so you know a lot of the imagery i think does come specifically out of people's nightmares and i think the reason why for me it feels like it genuinely captures some of that feeling is because he's like going to real like he's not trying it's not like i'm trying to recreate a nightmare he's actually talking to people he's hearing the night he's he's finding these universal things in images that people found scary and he's like you know packaging them all together i like the more like non-specified supernatural like okay. the nightmare theory is interesting to me and it's interesting in terms of like the backstory of how the movie got made and all that stuff but like you said that's kind of the most basic we've seen hundreds of movies that supposedly have a nightmare sequence or whatever or 
you, know, you watch a movie like um, Jacob's Ladder from the early 90s. Like, that's very much about, like, capturing that sense of being in a nightmare. And, like, that just feels too simplistic. The reason like, if that if that's the answer to what Skinnamarink's about, to yeah. me, that's like, well, that does make the movie boring. Here's the thing. Know? Here's my entire theory around why it's a demon. Okay, this is okay. also the only reason I think it's a demon. At the end, when he, when Kevin's sitting on the bed talking to this entity that's blurred mm. and shadowed, he says, what's your name? And he asks the question two, maybe three times. Mm. And never at any point in time does the demon say its name. Now, what we understand about demonology, demons are, by my understanding and all the times I've talked to demons, they're not allowed to tell you their name. <laughs> right then you can use it to what exercise them get rid of them well that's interesting demons do not name themselves so that is the only oh that's why you always see that in movies like what is your name tell me your name tell me totally yep yeah so my understanding that was my whole theory around why it would be a demon who would not share their name that's it. That's no. I, that's actually. I mean, this is why it's like handy to like have a Catholic to talk to about this stuff because, like, non-practicing, <laughs> non-practicing Catholic. <laughs> well, because my non-practicing Jewish ass like did not put that together. <laughs> um, but like, uh, I definitely did think like it was the final image of and again spoilers like some sort of face like emerging that's sort of inhuman, but you never quite get a grasp on it. Right, that, and I, felt like I was, was like, like, that feels real demony to me. Like, totally, and I think that it wasn't it wasn't clear what gender we were looking at. It felt vaguely feminine, vaguely maternal, mm-hmm. but also very unclear as to what we were Again, looking. At. Like uncanny in that, like you can kind of recognize a human face, but it seems super alien. And then not alien and like a alien from outer space way, but just strange and like, you know, and that's the whole thing about this movie. So like when it gets to like what I was saying about the feeling of like that feeling you're experiencing when you are first waking up from a nightmare, that's a good description of how the movie made me feel, but I don't particularly like it as an explanation for what's happening. I do because it does feel like, okay, it's a nightmare. Who cares? Like it just lowers the stakes. Yeah. But like the sense of threat, like particularly in that scene with the mom, particularly with the voice of the entity telling him to stab himself in the eye, that stuff was just so, and again, it's like, it's what, it's what a lot of experimental film doesn't do very well for me mm-hmm. is, and you know, again, like we always say on the other podcast and one of Amelia's favorite phrases is don't yuck someone's yum. Mm-hmm. um so if like you're into experimental film and stuff like you know i'm not sitting here trying to say like oh it sucks or i hate it or whatever like i i really respect a lot of it but what i what always gets in the way for me with a lot of experimental film is that it is so front part of your brain it's like you know we're exploring like the liminal space between a different medium and or you know the temporal whatever and it's all playing with editing and i'm like that's all intellectual it's like a big intellectual uh exercise and that might be interesting to some people but it's not particularly interesting to me well just like it's not it's not always fun sitting in a laboratory watching someone right it it feels like like the the way a lot of experimental filmmakers sometimes talk about their work to me is like it kind of sounds like a science experiment yeah and i I respect that's how we move forward but yeah absolutely end result's not always that exciting well it's just for me well i mean again it's like if that's your thing that's great or if you're finding something else in it that i'm missing that's also great for me 
who I am a writer, I'm very narrative focused. Experimental film just, it throws up a lot of walls for me. But when it does work, and I would put wavelength in this category, although I totally see what you're saying about it feeling much more like on the surface manipulative. But when it does work for me, there have been a couple other things. I'm, I'm not remembering the names of some of the, I should have looked some of this stuff up. But there's some other like experimental short films I've seen in various film classes and stuff. When it works, particularly on some of the darker stuff that I've seen, it gets at that reptile brain, back of your brain thing, the way a good horror movie should, you know, where it kind of bypasses your intellect. And then it's like, you can sit there and analyze, like, what is it about? What does it mean or whatever? Or you can just like, kind of like, walk out of it with this emotional experience. And what I had with Skin of a Rink is I'm, I was watching it alone in my bedroom because you had said you know don't watch it with people I, like, I find i find that is the best way to watch skinnamarink it is like alone in your house if, if i'd had a, one other person there i think it would have taken me out of it but i just felt like when the movie was over i felt like i was coming up out of like a literally almost from underwater or something it was like i was submerged in this thing yeah. and then and it took me like a while to kind of feel like my brain had reset back to you reality. You have to shake this movie off. I think yeah. some of the best horror I've ever seen stays with you. I think it changes you a little bit. And I mean, this is one of those. I think it affected me in a way that mm-hmm. I felt it stayed with me. And I think about it at random times. Yeah. It's something that pop into my head, you know? Yeah. yeah, I've had the same thing. And like, and again, I can totally, like, I can understand why people don't like this movie like and i don't think it's you're wrong if you don't like it i think it's just it's a very particular wavelength that like some people are just not going to be able to get on here's the thing and when i say wavelength like you know not don't you think think that's the beauty of horror Mm -hmm. is that what's what terrifies me is not necessarily what terrifies you exactly that's why Um, like um like arguments about horror to me are like arguments about comedy yeah I don't need you to explain to me why this stand-up comedian is funny. Like, I'm either going to laugh or I'm not, you know? It's so subjective. It's so personal. Because well, it's, because yeah. again, it's reptile brain. It's like yeah. what you laugh at or what, I mean, one of the reasons I think you and I became friends is like, we have a very kind of similar sense of humor, but like. Fucked up. Fucked up, right. <laughs> <laughs> but like we, uh, you know, we're not going to have the same sense of humor as like some of the other friends. I'm, I'm, like should i name them i'm like no i'm not but we have some friends i would say who have uh, maybe more of a vanilla sense of humor and again it's not that they're wrong it's just like what we find funny what what kind of like triggers that emotional response is i don't you know it's very specific to us it's very like not intellectual it's not a like thing you can talk you can't talk yourself into finding something funny in the same way you can't really talk yourself into finding something scary because it all is like tied to like our weird subconscious so if like you're not the type of person who finds empty spaces scary you're probably not going to find skin marine very scary i do like an empty room to me is like creepy as fuck there's also well i think i think what you're saying is very accurate i mean Mm -hmm. it, it also fear comes from experience right Mm -hmm. and being able to relate to it i mean i'm an only child i was a latchkey kid because i grew up Mm -hmm. in the 80s um before it was probably illegal or whatever 
illegal now, but right. last kid, I also lived out in the country in the middle mm -hmm. of nowhere. Mm -hmm. I've talked about this before. We did not have neighbors anywhere near us, like right. totally alone on a farm. Sometimes my parents had super late meetings at night and didn't get home until nine o'clock at night. So you're a seven-year-old at home alone in a house. You've been watching cartoons on a bender since you got mm -hmm. home at what, like four o'clock, you know, snacking and you're just sitting alone and you look up at some point and you realize that it's nighttime and you, you just didn't come out of your cartoon mm -hmm. books to turn on the lights and you suddenly look around and realize holy shit i'm sitting in a pitch dark house all by myself watching mm -hmm. cartoons that to me is the essence of skin yep. and like holy shit and i've had very like i'm not an only child but my brother is 12 years older than me so by the time i was like able to come walk home alone he was off to college and stuff I, same thing, I lived in a small town in a haunted house. I've talked about it on the other podcast. <laughs> Up against a mountain, you know, mm -hmm. like behind the house was just national forest. And I've had the same thing of like coming home and like, it's that thing when you're a kid and you come home and like, you know, you're watching cartoons or whatever. And like mom and dad are just getting home like a little bit later than normal and things are getting a little bit darker outside than they should be. And all of a sudden everything feels wrong. And you don't quite know why. And then the cartoons seem too loud because you can't hear what's going on in the other room. And the hallway looks too dark. And like, you know, and I think you're, I hadn't really thought about it until you kind of mentioned it. But I think those kind of specific experiences, mm -hmm. that's the stuff that like Skinnamarink really, I think, it just kind of dumped me back into that, you know? Yeah. So if you survived the trauma of of growing up in the eighties <laughs> or the last few kids, you are well, you will love Skinnamarink. Yeah. <laughs> Wait, the last the last two things I want to say about Skinnamarink, two of my other favorite moments, when Kevin calls nine one one and successfully mm. gets through. Right. And is having I forgot about that. What we think is a very productive conversation with someone on the other line. And then you like that moment of hope that everything might be okay. And mm. then watching it like hearing it fall apart it, that to me was devastating like it's mm. it's one of those things where like you're pretty sure rose and jack are going to survive the titanic the titanic this time but like you know this isn't going to go well you know there's no way that 911 is going to show up and save the rest of the movie that's not right. how this right <laughs> going through that you're like okay like we're gonna hit an iceberg you know going mm. through that moment of feeling the hope that it might be okay and then it falls apart and then the other moment that really like stabbed me in the heart was you're going through this unspecified amount of time and you're thinking like, okay, is this, this is a few days. We know that sleeping has taken place. We know that meals mm -hmm. have taken place. You vaguely know a sense of time, but like towards the end of the movie, you're like, okay, maybe it's been a week or so. And there's the note on the screen that says it has been 572 days. Mm -hmm. And that's when I was like, oh my fucking no, the, the, God. I was going to mention that. The five, you're in the hallway and it says, it was like day 572. And then it's oh. just slowly pulling back through this hallway that just is endless. And you see the toys up on the ceiling. Yeah. And then again, that's one of those like, technically you could say, oh, that's a nightmare image. It's like an image from a nightmare. But if you put some sort of like supernatural cast on it, it just, the the sense of unreality in mm -hmm. that moment was really disorienting. And I think yeah. that's the thing about this movie more than anything else is I just found it really disorienting in a way that I haven't really with a movie in a long time. 
you know what came you know what came to mind again this catholicism coming up um mm. and i i never talk about religion but like in that moment I, it made me realize that like 572 days like abandon all hope oh yeah no it's, it's like if you've been there that long it's like you're not getting saved nothing will not change saved. Right. it's only gonna get worse it, it, like that that 572 i was like oh my fucking god yeah you know you just you feel like you're caught in an abyss you know yeah. And yep. there, there really is no way out. Okay, so Infinity Pool. Mm-hmm. What did you think of that movie? Okay, so I loved Infinity Pool from a completely different, for like a million different reasons, for, <laughs> like opposing Skinnerink. Right, Skinnerink, <laughs> very different. <movie. laughs> totally different genre. Yeah. Um, but I watched Infinity Pool right after watching Skinnamarink. So, I mean, we're talking like very mainstream, but again, very like high-end horror. You know, yeah. I, I love this. And again, it's because I love floating through a sea of chaos and not <laughs> knowing what's happening. That's my vibe. So right. um, Infinity Pool, I mean, even right from the beginning, you're like, okay, we've got Mia Goth and Alexander Skarsgård. Okay, so mm-hmm. Mia Goth, how... Did this chick become the reigning queen of horror in like the span of just a few years? Well, I, mean- I want to talk a little bit about her in, uh, in a little bit because I ended up, because of Infinity Pool, I've been on like a Mia Goth binge this week. Totally. Mm-hmm. And like, oh my God, she's so fucking good. I mean, I knew she was good, but like I hadn't really paid that much attention. You know where I first saw her and like she soaked into my brain was Sus- Susaspira, Suspiria. <laughs> Which I just watched last night. Suspiria. 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 So I have never seen the original. I hear mm-hmm. it's, I've heard from some people it's unwatchable and not very good. I've heard from others it's great. Take what you will from that. Suspiria. It's a little bit. I mean, so I started watching the new one last night. I'll admit, I fell asleep about halfway through just because it was like four in the morning. Daddy, so can I I'm tell gonna. You, it is. <laughs> It is in my top five favorite horror movies of all time. All what time. That's, that's how strongly I feel about it. What I've seen so far, I mean, I I think it's, and this will be controversial maybe with the horror fans, I think it's much better than the original. I like the original. I appreciate the original. The thing about a lot of Dario Argento films is like, he's not real plot focused so it's mm-hmm. like you get halfway through that movie and you're just like wait what the fuck is going on <laughs> yeah um it's beautiful to look at it's got some great just like set pieces and stuff but the new one at least from what i've seen so far is just much more rooted in i mean it's hard to say reality but it fe- but you kind of feel like it's part of a real world that kind of makes sense within the confines of the movie. Whereas like the original is just like breaking rules all the time. It's it's very easy to buy into the rules of what the movie sets forth. Like it is based mm-hmm. in reality. It is a school located in Germany for mm-hmm. modern modern dance. Um, like right, and it's got the whole historical backdrop of like uh, being you know the Berlin Wall and East Berlin versus yeah. West Berlin and. And the, and the German it, autumn even, and all that. Even the supernatural aspects are still very, like, mm-hmm. the whole time you're kind of like, this seems like reality to me. Like, yes, there's supernatural right. things that are happening, but you're like, I could still see it. There, You can explain a lot of it away as reality. You right. know? It, 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 but holy shit. I mean, 
the kind the feminine rage that comes out of that movie is mm-hmm. so I'm really awesome. I'm bummed that I like I so I started watching I mean we're we're already off topic but that's fine uh, we'll get back to <laughs> Infinity Pool in a minute um, no I started watching last night because I had already seen X um, okay yeah which mm-hmm. when I like not long after that came out I hadn't watched Pearl yet but after watching Infinity Pool I was like okay I need to watch Pearl because I need to really just see like Mia Goth when she's like the 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 centerpiece of the movie mm-hmm. and Pearl's great yeah. um, and then because of that I was like okay I'm gonna go ahead and start watching Suspiria but then at that point it was like three in the morning so I made it about halfway but mm-hmm. I'm gonna finish that up tonight so um, have you have you haven't seen it all the way through ever right Suspiria the new one no no I'm gonna I'm gonna encourage you watch it like eight times through (laughs) this is definitely and and this gets us kind of back to infinity pool because Suspiria is definitely a movie I think I'm gonna watch multiple times Mm -hmm. I've seen the original multiple times um and I think I'll probably be going back to the I mean I don't even really want to call it a remake because it's so different um but i mean i I find i find the beauty in it is in the rewatch because there's mm -hmm. so much i can already yeah yep you pick it up again you pick it up again you realize something new every time you watch it that's why i love it i can already tell that there's details going by there's like a precision to this movie to suspiria so far at least that like um it reminds me of the new Candyman in some ways um and it's got a similar sense of like everything is a little bit of an interlocking piece you know sorry i have a beast an, an actual beast barking <laughs> no worries just <laughs> miss my dog slurping down water so. <laughs> um so yeah it's uh who, who did suspiria the remake i so is i don't know how to pronounce his name because it's an italian name um, and I and if anyone who listens to the weirdest thing my other podcast knows, I'm just like the worst at foreign name <laughs> pronunciations. But we will try. It's Luca Gaunino. Gaunino. Guadagnino. Guadagnino. Yeah. Yeah. You did way better on just like the first try. There. I also don't know anything else from that filmmaker. Well, he did the thing. He's that people would really know him for right now. It's not a horror movie. Is uh, he did that Call Me by Your Name movie? Right, and he also did Bones ago. and All, which I have not seen, but I'm dying to see. Uh, we should talk about that when you see it because I haven't seen it yet, but I read the book and I have a okay. lot of thoughts on the book. But uh, no, Luca Guadagnino is that what you Guadagnino. said? Guadagnino. Guadagnino. Yeah. And you can tell he's, I mean, I think he's been around. I haven't seen much of his stuff, but he's been around Italy for a long time. I think he's been making movies for decades. And he's, you can just tell when you're watching Suspiria, whether it's your type of thing or not. It's like, this This is a filmmaker who knows what the fuck he's doing, <laughs> you know? Also, the I mean, star power in that movie is mm-hmm. unbelievable. It's Tilda Swinton, who can do no wrong in my book. Right. I mean, Dakota Johnson, Chloe Moretz, you know, you've got Mia Goth in like mm-hmm. her first big feature, which is where we start started this whole conversation but Mm -hmm. i mean i thought she was a standout at that time even as a um supporting character well i the first thing i remember seeing her in was uh, the road to wellness which was i think oh i did not realize she was in that yeah yeah. wow i loved that movie too yeah i need to go back and watch it again because i really liked it when i saw it and i don't remember much about it 
All right, I'm uh, breaking in here with a real-time fact check for you. Um, so obviously I said the road to wellness, which is, um, if anyone knows, is real dumb because what I was doing there was conflating a cure for wellness with that old Robert Downey Jr. movie, A Road to Wellville, which I've never seen. I love how squirmy that made me feel. It was very, uh, like it had sort of some real good classic Lovecraftian kind uh-huh. of elements to it. Um, yeah. But yeah, Mia Goth, and to get back to Infinity Pool, Mia Goth is, well, the thing I appreciate about Mia Goth, and I really feel this is a true statement after watching Pearl, because I know that, I, I don't know if she co-wrote the script or was just like involved with the creation of the script. Um, you know, Pearl, obviously it's a, I think most people know, but it's a prequel to the movie X, which is like a very almost straightforward slasher movie came out a year or so ago. Ty West is the director. And then they did Pearl as like this kind of secret, uh, prequel. And then they're doing a third one called Maxine, which I believe they're in production right now. But, uh, you know, X is pretty great, um, for what it is. Uh, I I liked X a lot. I like Pearl full stop. I'm interested to see what Maxine brings. Yeah, like I liked X, but I thought like X is like, okay, like he's riffing on the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. I've seen this before and I've seen Ty West kind of do this before because he did it with like House of the Devil and stuff. I'm kind of riffing on an old horror genre. Pearl really impressed me in the sense of like, he's riffing on old genres, but in Pearl, it's more like Disney movies and Douglas Sirk movies and then putting this spin on it that's just totally demented. Well, as with any good prequel that's done well, you already know where it's headed. And so now mm-hmm. you've got this beautifully building tension that's leading you down the path where you know the path ends in a in a bad place. Right. And so you're just following this path that's like, oh God, like we're just watching this slow burn into mm-hmm. watching her become a fully realized version of herself, which is, I, I thought it was which really- Which is not bad. a version you want to become of anything. <laughs> But I think I think Mia Goth is doing a really beautiful job in challenging like a lot of the old school classic tropes, you know, of, of females in horror. You're seeing yeah. a lot of that from like Midsummer and Hereditary and things like that. You're seeing a lot of like really powerful women coming through the horror scene right mm-hmm. now. And she is like kind of the reigning queen right now. Well, I think the thing about Mia Goth and going back to like so my understanding is how Pearl came about was, you know, Ty West, I think, had just written X and it was going to be a standalone movie. And then Mia Goth came in and she was, and she basically like had the idea, like developed this backstory for Pearl. And the two of them together were like, ooh, that's a movie. And so they developed it together. Like I said, I'm not sure if she actually co-wrote it or if she was just like part of that development process. But what that tells me, because if you've seen Pearl, Pearl's much weirder than X. Yep. So Mia Goth, I think, she's a genuine weirdo yeah and like totally. the best I, and I, I haven't seen it yet but i know like her first movie was that nymphomaniac movie the Lars von trier thing oh my god she was, was like, she in that super, yeah she's super young in that fucking nymphomaniac i sat, <laughs> i sat through that and i was just like oh my god like please stop like that and melancholia you just want to walk into the ocean it's, afterwards i i I did like Melancholia. Um, I have it's not seen cool. Nymphomaniac. It's it is I, not uplifting. No. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm very on the fence about Lars von Trier in general. Mm-hmm. Like, it always feels like homework to watch his movies. Yeah. Um, but just the fact that she started in Nymphomaniac, I think in like her late teens or early 20s, 
and then has like gone on just consistently to do these like weird fucking movies like i think she's just a she's genuinely an odd person who just owns it and like well it's it's gotten to the point where if she's associated, I will prioritize it because I believe that she's backing projects that I think are high quality. Well, after watching her and stuff this week, because the other thing is like going from, and again, I haven't finished Suspiria, but I can, I feel like I can safely say her characters in each of these movies, Infinity Pool, Suspiria, and Pearl, and add an X where she plays both Pearl and Maxine she's so different i mean there's like there's like that i'm not gonna say the daniel day lewis quality of like disappearing into a character but she's able to be weird and crazy and kind of scary in each of these movies in a very different way each time so it's not like she's got like her one thing her one crazy thing she does and then she just does it over and over she's like uniquely terrifying (laughs) right she's I, i don't think she's your cute approachable weirdo she's not like a jenna ortega type she's her own thing right. and I, I like clearly i stand me a goth like if she's listening uh-huh. to this podcast big fan <laughs> okay yeah <laughs> well and then it's like i mean i think the jenna ortega thing is an interesting comparison because like i haven't seen jenna ortega in that much what i've seen her in i think she's good like i like her and stuff but she feels there is and some of this is not her it's the way she's being kind of like presented by yeah. the industry is like She's like, she's the new Winona Ryder. She's our prepackaged, like, cute goth girlfriend. She's accessible goth girl. Totally. And, like, I love that. I mean, I loved the Wednesday reboot. I thought it was super Mm -hmm. awesome. Great. Well done. Um, But, yes, Mm -hmm. totally different vibe. It's a a different vibe. There's something about what Mia Goth is doing that's, like, you wouldn't be able to package her like that because she's not going to cooperate. She's not. And again, none of this is to knock Jenna Ortega. Like, it's just, I, I feel like trying to get me a goth to, like, play the game. Just the feeling I have is, like, it'd be like trying to get a cat and stuff it into, like, a paper bag. You know, like, <laughs> yeah. it's she's just going to fight you. And she's going to yeah. do what she wants, you know? I love that. I love that. And watching her team up with Alexander Skarsgård, who mm-hmm. I also think backs some really fantastic yeah. projects. He's I mean, been consistently, like, I feel like horror fans aren't taking him seriously enough because everyone attached to bill skarsgård you know his brother played pennywise sure who's like super tall and weird looking and he feels like a horror guy and alexander skarsgård's so handsome yeah it's easy to be like oh he's just like he's the cute one or whatever well, he's but the like, sexy vampire that we're all gonna think of when we think about <laughs> I mean, of course yeah. like, you know it's hard to break out of the sexy vampire trope and to be like no i'm a serious horror actor you know it's like <laughs> Goddamn, the scars guard, like what is in their DNA? There are so many talents. Well, yeah, I mean, all the way back to their dad, you know. Yeah, amazing. Yeah. yeah. So Alexander, so all right, back to Infinity Pool. Alexander Skarsgård and his wife, they're on vacation in an unnamed tropical environment in a resort. The the rules uh, of I yeah. think it's uncle- I think it's like a Mediterranean, because I think it was shot in like Croatia or something. Okay. So it's totally like it's like a seaside area. Yeah. It's like either Eastern Europe or or North Africa or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. And we're led to understand that they are on vacation. The wife is kind of like, how did you even find this place? And it's kind of not clear right. how they landed here. He's a kind of a third rate writer who uh-huh. 
has only produced one book and it wasn't that good. Uh-huh. They're on vacation. He's approached by a couple, the wife being Mia Goth, who's like, hey, I read your book. I'm a huge fan. Your book was amazing and life-changing. Right. We wanted to sneak out of the resort tonight and go have some fun. Do you want to come with us? And one of the rules that we're led to believe early on, you're not allowed to leave the resort. That's mm-hmm. a rule. They leave the resort. Something terrible happens. Um, they're immediately punished by the law. Mm-hmm. And, and Alexander Skarsgård is told that he is going to be put to death. Right. And that's where you're like, oh, shit, this is serious. And then that's where things take a left turn. Right. The first of like 800 left turns, I would say. Like, sure. And I think, again, like, like Skinnamarink, I'm going to just go ahead and say spoiler warning. I don't want to have to like try and talk around it. So if you haven't seen Infinity Pool yet, (laughs) go watch it. Yeah. Do we want to talk about the genre? What what horror genre does this fall into? What's the (laughs) concept? (laughs) I mean, I'm going to say sci-fi horror. Yeah, like, it's horror. we're talking clones and doppelgangers. But that feels reductive to me. But yes, it's clones and doppelgangers. Sure, because right. it's also murder tourism, which I think mm-hmm. is fun when it's not done by Eli Roth. Because I yeah. can't handle the hostile <laughs> shit. I, it's too yeah. gory. But I think the way they did murder tourism in Infinity Pool was actually done like really well. Mm-hmm. I liked it. Yeah. Well, and I think like there are things I... Not to get digressed by Hostel, but like there are things about Hostel that I appreciate, but I feel like what Infinity Pool is doing is it's making some similar commentary about, you know, rich Westerners visiting these poor countries and everything in them just a much more interesting off the wall way. Like Hostel's pretty obvious and then it's commentary is also pretty obvious, yeah. you know? Uh, infinity pool it like it gets to a similar place in some ways in a much more like mind frying kind of way well you you start to go down now let's talk a little bit more because i think it's important all right we already did the fucking spoiler thing so we know we're going to talk it out um so the concept is alexander skarsgård is told he's going to be put to death however Mm -hmm. they know how to create a clone of you yeah you are then invited to watch your clone be put to death mm-hmm. as your punishment. And that is because you are a wealthy, you are right. a wealthy individual who can afford to have that clone made and killed on mm-hmm. your behalf. Okay. Mm-hmm. That's where the trouble begins because, and I don't want to jump too far ahead. However, people keep getting into trouble and just buying their way out of it by having <laughs> yeah. our clones made. And at some point, are you yourself? Or are you the clone? Well, and I think that's... Like, it's interesting. So just just uh, real quick, you know, the movie is written and directed by Brandon Cronenberg. I'm wearing my uh, David Cronenberg's The Brood t-shirt uh, in tribute because obviously Brandon Cronenberg is the son of David, uh, son of David Cronenberg. And the, stylistically and cinematically, their movies are very different, but it's amazing how thematic, because I went back and watched his earlier film, Possessor, kind of right after I watched Infinity Pool. And it's amazing how, like, thematically they're working in very similar kind of sandboxes a lot of stuff about like body horror uh body integrity and then like just identity like who am i and like that's the open question throughout infinity pool is it's like did they put the clone to death or did they put the real guy to death and the clone is now walking around thinking he's the real guy and then the second time it happens okay now is it the third clone that's walking around because you we see this degradation and it seems to have happened to all of these rich tourists where they are just becoming more animalistic more um sociopathic 
and you're like they're, they're just like it feels like they're like bad copy of a bad copy of a bad copy of a bad right copy. and so and it's it's that concept of losing your mm -hmm. id and becoming fully what ego which or maybe I got that backwards, but it's uh, that yeah. no, I, I followed, right. <laughs> but yeah, right. It's that losing of loss of empathy and returning to a feral place. And so mm -hmm. the question comes, like, yeah, who was put to death? Was it the the copy or was it the original? Mm -hmm. And yeah, at the I mean, the end I thought was beautifully done, where he stays on the island and he just looks mm -hmm. like a lost version of himself, even though he had the yeah. opportunity to leave. Right. Right. Yeah, no, and you, I think because it's, I think he sort of, sort of realized, like when you see them bring out the dog <laughs> at the yeah. end, yeah. Um, it's when you realize that like, because you could say like, oh, well, you know, it's a government thing. So, you know, they say they're going to, you know, this is the law. They make a clone and then they put the clone to death and it's, you know, and it's to essentially honor their kind of traditional way of like an eye for an eye kind of culture here without like driving away tourism but but then when like later on you see all the crazy tourists like bought a clone of him just as a prank like yeah. they were like able to go like bribe someone to make an extra clone of him it's like okay yeah there's not a lot of like quality control happening here <laughs> <laughs> there's not a lot of like dotting of the i's and crossing of the t's so at that point you're just like how would you be like i, I have no fucking idea who i am you right know? also i mean yes some of the locals clearly hate the tourists you oh, know yeah. you, there's a lot of violence against the tourists you see that it, it there's a very easy argument for for saying like oh they intentionally killed the original because fuck that original you know yeah well right. and and they're basically lying to the tourists saying like yeah we're just gonna and you see that in the very opening so when he's being uh interviewed by the cop or interrogated and the cop comes in and like basically what happens is he and his wife go out with mia goth and her husband and they sneak out of the compound and they just to like see the rest of the island and on the way back he hits and like kills someone in the street you know, uh, Alexander Skarsgård is driving the car and he basically kills a local, an accident. They run. They don't want to be like caught. So they run back to the compound. They bribe their way back. Or I think they kind of lie. They're also, he's in. also drunk when he's driving. He's also he's drunk. drunk. It's not like you can be like, oh, it was an innocent mistake. Like it, he was at fault. He was at fault. And then, of course, they abandoned the guy by the side of the road. So when the cop comes in, he's like, you know, could you do me a favor you know uh i've already talked to the people there they told me basically what happened your wife is telling us what happened the person who loaned you the car you know who works at the compound or that you rented the car from uh he's my uncle it would just mean a lot to me if you didn't you know implicate him so can you stipulate that you that he did not rent you this car and you think and alexander skarsgård's like oh he's gonna like let me off Right. Yeah. And so he's like, okay, yeah, I stipulate that. And he's like, okay, so you have admitted that you stole a, my uncle's car or whatever. And you yeah. can just see how this cop immediately manipulated the situation. Yeah. So you can't, so when they're like, yeah, here's the law, sign this thing, which is obviously written in a different language. Um, we're going to put your clone to death and not you. I mean, are they? Like, there's no, like, who would trust this guy? You know? Right. Yeah. I think it becomes clear over time. I mean, I want to believe that in the ending, he, wa he was one of the clones 
and the original was put to death. That's what I want to believe. At least okay. one time something went wrong. <laughs> like, right. I because don't think he's now, the I mean, we're watching the clones be put to death a number of times. There are a number of times that Ale that we watch Alexander Skarsgård in some form be put to death again and again and again. Because right. now these tourists go on benders where they just go on like fun killing sprees or they do something yeah. awful and they're just like, fuck it, we can buy our way out with another clone. I loved how like after their first big crime thing um where they go they break into the guy's house and then it turns into a shootout and then they like rush back to the fucking bungalow and alexander skarsgård's wife's freaking out and then it just cuts to like the group of them just sitting in like the cell just kind of waiting it's just such a want want kind of like <laughs> yeah. but yeah i mean i i want to believe that the that in the end he is one of the copies Mm -hmm. And then looking back, it becomes that much more horrifying, realizing that he was a copy looking at the original that was put to death. Like right. I, it's one of those where like, yes, I would watch it again to go back and watch it from a different perspective and to have a different set of feelings about it. Uh-huh. Yeah. No, I, I want to, yeah, I think I'll probably watch Infinity Pool also. Like, you know, back to Skinamarink real quick, which, you know, we talked about how effective we both found it. But one thing I will say about Skinamarink is, like, I think it's probably a one-timer for me. Oh, okay. I think, I don't feel like I'd ever be able to recapture the experience I had watching it the first time. Interesting, because I am going to watch that shit again tonight. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. No, I mean. That would be my third time through. I feel like if I were to try and watch it again, I would I would now be watching with the front part of my brain and not the reptile brain. And that's a movie I kind of want to leave in the reptile brain. Sure. Infinity Pool and Suspiria, and I would say Possessor, which I want to talk a little bit about. I know you haven't seen it, but... I want to hear about it, yeah. These are movies, like David Cronenberg movies, I would say, that you almost can't watch one time and feel like you got enough out of it. Like, these are movies that kind of demand... That you go back and be like, okay, what the fuck was this? Mm -hmm. And like kind of pick it apart a little bit. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm definitely going to watch Infinity Pool again. Um, yeah. I also just want to talk a little bit about, so when things start going crazy in Infinity Pool and they start doing drugs, essentially this kind of local hallucinogen, Brandon Cronenberg, he just moves into this, like I just love his like use of color and like he's very, like he's just a very cinematic filmmaker in a way that i feel like if you watch david cronenberg movies he's kind of not like i love david cronenberg but he there's a very flat aspect to ha like and i think it's on purpose with david cronenberg it's very chilly it's very just kind of like the camera sit down and you're just watching a horrible thing happen kind of feel I'm going back to the list because I don't know a lot about David Cronenberg. However, I'm realizing he did The Fly, which right. is like... That's his, big, that's his biggest one, yeah. That's like one of my all-time favorites. I saw that way too early. <laughs> way too early. Yeah. That messed me up. That's why I am the way I am. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, The Fly is his most... I, I Well, he's had some recent movies that I don't know in terms of box office how they compare because he did like recently he he's kind of moved away from horror and he did a, a history of violence mm -hmm. um eastern promises these are more like you know crime thriller kind of things but if you go back like the brood which is an early movie of his it's from i want to say 1980 maybe 1979 something like that you know go back to what movie like his adaptation of the dead zone the stephen king novel like 
again, there's a very chilly, there's like a real chilliness to his, where you, you feel like you're in the eyes of a Martian watching humans in this kind of almost analytical kind of way. It's almost the way, like, I feel like Stanley Kubrick films have a very similar vibe. And yeah. they're very beautifully composed. But Brandon Cronenberg, he has some of that, particularly early in uh, Infinity Pool. It has a little bit of that same feel. But once he starts, like, pushing it, like, you know, you are immersed in it. Like, and he's creating, like, a cinematic experience. And Possessor is very much the same way. Like, he's just a much more visual filmmaker in some ways than his father. And I really, like, appreciate that. Okay. Tell me, what's the what's Possessor about? uh possessor it's not being really billed as a horror movie but you know this is the second time i watched possessor and i actually do think it kind of i think i could make an argument that it is a horror movie it's extremely violent um probably more so than infinity pool actually but it's uh about some weird shadowy i think it's like a corporation i don't think it's a government thing but it's like a group of assassins but the way they assassinate you is they they kidnap somebody, put an implant in their brain, and then one of the assassins, who in this place is played by Andrea Reisberg, um, right? I think that's how you say her name. Um, she basically possesses you. She takes over your body and then makes you go assassinate whoever it is they've been paid to assassinate and then makes you kill yourself. And so then it's just like, we don't know what happened. Someone snapped and blah, 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 you know. But we see her, like the movie starts with her doing one job and we see like things are getting a little shaky. She doesn't quite have the control maybe she's supposed to. And then we move into her next assignment and her control over the quote host okay. is like- So I see where you're making the connection between that and mm-hmm. Infinity Pool because you're talking about an unwitting loss of identity. Yeah, it's very much about because then it's like you know there and i'm gonna try and avoid spoilers for possessor even though we're doing them for infinity pool but there's very much becomes a question of like it becomes unclear like who's in control of the host at various times if it's him or her so you know okay yeah um i actually like possessor better than infinity pool and that's saying a lot because I like Infinity Pool a lot. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think Possessor to me is like a little more like there is a part of me, and I think this is intentional with Infinity Pool, but I did find it jarring where it does feel a little bit like two different movies, whereas Possessors may be a little bit more cohesive in that sense. One trigger warning I do want to give, particularly to you, because I know you've told me as a now that you're a mother, you have a hard time with things involving violence towards kids yeah uh, it's a weird thing that i developed after i had a kid yeah, yeah. well that would just be be forewarned about possessor there is okay it's Heard. not it's not like the whole movie or anything but yeah. this is a pretty terrible thing happens to a kid so okay heard yeah. heard okay yeah. um I, so i can see how you're making this correlation between possessor and infinity pool and i think that's mm-hmm. really interesting that he's exploring these topics did what other movies has he put out have he has seen? one i have not seen it came out i was just i was just reading up on him uh yeah. the other day after watching infinity pool i want to say this came out like 2012 i think called antiviral and it seems like a very early david cronenberg concept in that like if you watch a movie like rabbit the cronenberg movie from the 77 i think it's all about disease and stuff um, and what disease does to the body. And, you know, is disease like a sentient 
kind of entity within your body and it looks like antiviral is kind of playing with like some similar concepts from what i can tell it's about like people who fetishize celebrities so much that they want to be injected with their diseases um which is an interesting concept and the trailer looks interesting you can tell it looks a lot lower budget than these other two movies but i'll definitely go and watch it because like i remember watching possessor kind of around when it came out and i think it was like in the height of the pandemic and it was just like this is a lot (laughs) like this is just a lot to deal with (laughs) so (laughs) it was a little like too soon yeah um i was like i just need to watch episodes of forged in fire and like chill out (laughs) i need my brain set on fire like this but like uh going back and re-watching it after seeing infinity pool i actually like possessor a lot better than i did the first time um and like i like i said i think i like it better than infinity pool but that could change on like a second viewing because i loved infinity pool yeah yeah i mean i think Brandon Cronenberg, like we're just you know waxing poetic about me and Goth. I think she's quickly becoming my favorite horror actor, and I think Brandon Cronenberg may be becoming my favorite uh, horror director of the moment. No kidding. He, re- he reminds me. Have you seen? <laughs> this is actually perfect. Have you seen the movie Mandy? Yes. Oh wow. Yep. Brian <laughs> with me. Wow. And you know what's mm-hmm. funny? He, I liked it. He loved it. Uh-huh. He loved it. And Brian is not. He's not a big horror guy. It's because he, so my husband is Brian for any listeners. Uh, <laughs> he's not a horror guy. He's like a horror extreme purist, which is kind of annoying because there's not a lot of Venn diagram where we overlap our horror likes. Is he a like, snob? He's like, yeah, he's a super fucking snob about <laughs> horror. He's like, mm, the only good horror movie ever made was The Exorcist. And I'm like, no, there's other good shit out there. Oh, okay. so like, right. So like, he, he I love Brian, but. There's only like a few really scary horror movies out there. Um, oh. Whereas like I will watch like all of it, you know? Right. So he and I watched Mandy together. He loved it, which I found fascinating because uh-huh. I liked it. I liked that it was beautifully shot. It was crazy. It was creepy. And it had so many incredibly beautiful artistic shots to it. Plus uh-huh. it was just, like really unhinged, you know? Uh-huh. And and brutal. Demented, right. Demented, yes. It was yeah. really unhinged. It was super cool. But yeah, it was just funny, like, to have two two people watch the same movie and have such, like, totally different reactions <laughs> to it. I was like, okay, I liked it. I really need to process what I just right. experienced. And, and he, he was, was just right away. Awesome. He was like, I loved it. That was great. That was a great movie. Mm-hmm. Not what I expected him to say. I think there's something about Brandon Cronenberg stuff that reminds me. So that director is a guy named Panos Cosmatos. I believe he's also Canadian, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. But he did uh, the movie Mandy. But before that, he did another movie called Beyond the Black Rainbow, which is, I really liked it. I feel like I need to watch it again to even begin to get what the fuck that movie was about. It's soup. It's not like Mandy, and that Mandy is demented. Beyond the Black Rainbow is weird as fuck, but it's real slow. Like it's a slow burn of a movie. But there's something about their visual style that feels very similar. Like almost, I want to look up and see if like they know each other, if they've ever worked together or anything. Because it's like it feels like they're like bubbling up out of the same pool of weirdness. Yeah. So. Yeah. yeah, I feel like the focus in Mandy was so much on like the artistic visual experience and uh-huh. the storyline was almost secondary, but 
that's not a bad thing because the storyline was still really tight and really horrifying and crazy. You know? Yeah, and I feel like I feel like Brandon Cronenberg's better in some ways at like the just the, the narrative, the getting that balance right. Yeah. Um, I feel like with Panos Cosmatos, he gets so immersed in the visuals and so immersed in just the like kind of psychedelia of it that he does kind of lose the thread of the story a little yeah. <laughs> in both movies. And you know, and I like both movies a lot. And you know, but I do think I prefer. <laughs> I feel like somebody behind the scenes was like, "Look, we know you're having fun. <laughs> you have to shoot a movie like, that will sell." Right, bring it, <laughs> you know, bring bring it down just a little, just. <laughs> so people have to watch this too okay yeah right <laughs> and he's like ah, whatever. <laughs> yeah no i think and in fact the back to my theory that they probably know each other which by the way is probably like there's probably like articles about this like i'm, I'm sure i'm not like oh my god then this connection between these Two Canadian filmmakers. No, no, no. Like, it's. I think it's worth worth noting that when we do this podcast, we do zero research. <laughs> I, yeah, I I will literally like go to IMDb and just like look at lists of. I was like, oh, quick Wikipedia. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, but uh, I know, and and Andrea Rise, it's either Riseborough or Riseberg. I'm forgetting that, mm-hmm. but um, who plays the assassin and possessor? She plays yeah. Nick Cage's wife in Mandy, so it's she, that she same actress. Mandy. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, there, so there's creepy. one connection at least. She's yeah. she's creepy. She's a good creepy elevated actress. If, if you see, because uh, she doesn't have a ton to do in Mandy, you know, yeah. she's kind of the MacGuffin in Mandy. But in Possessor, I mean, she's one of the she's the second lead of that movie, and mm-hmm. she's really fucking good. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I'm yeah. gonna I'm gonna check out Possessor for sure. No, that's yeah. Awesome. Like I said, just just heed the heed the the content warning i know yeah. for you you have told me like don't send me any stories where kids get killed so totally yeah i know we'll read you about it now just, um just you know steal yourself. An- another thing i was gonna say i do think it's funny to watch nicholas cage go through his like horror movie renaissance where he was just like i do horror movies now I know. and like he he did a number of them and they're not necessarily mainstream he did a lot of under the radar horror movies oh yeah right around the same time that were like uh what was the lovecraftian one he did uh the color out of space uh yes that one yep mm-hmm. that's a, that's yeah. that's good that was a whole if if you guys want to know a little bit more about the backstory of the color out of space go to my other podcast the weirdest thing and look at the episode i did on uh the 1990s island of dr moreau because it's the same director um, is it really yeah oh, okay so yeah. but anyway but yeah um that's just uh, so i don't have to go into the whole thing now <laughs> just yeah. go listen yeah. to that no um, i just what, i think it's funny that nicholas cage is going through his like horror movie renaissance where he's just like yeah because he, he did horror. that like what was it and it's not parents because that's an earlier fucked up horror movie but like yeah. uh what was he, it was like mom and dad he, i think yes yep yeah, where and mom and dad become like the, the murderers. Yes, the crazy killers and like yeah, he's done a couple things like that. And then I mean, just right now he's in Renfield, which I'm hearing good things about. I yeah. Seen See, here's the thing. I, I again, like I'm a Nick Holt stan. Um, uh-huh. so like I just watched the menu and I loved him in the menu. Mm-hmm. I thought he and Anya Taylor Joy, uh-huh. fucking amazing. Also, <laughs> I love I love her in anything, but I thought he plays like the ultimate reprehensible foodie yeah. who doesn't know shit about 
fuck about what he's talking about. You I know? mean, the menu was, and again, if, if if anyone who's a listener of my other podcast, uh, we did talk about that on that one too. The menu is probably my favorite movie of last year. Mm-hmm. And I, and like Nicholas Holt, I mean, I love, obviously Ray Fiennes is just like, he can't do no wrong, but Nicholas Holt was like, I mean, he's the most detestable character in that movie and yeah. he's so fucking good. Like He's so Good. He's so reprehensible. Everything about him is heinous, and you love him yeah. for it. And I liked like um, Amelia, my other co-host. She she didn't particularly like Anna Taylor Joy's performance. I I really thought she was good. I mean, mm-hmm. I've got no complaints about that. And interesting. You know I'm going to side with Amelia on that. And it's only because I judge Anya Taylor-Joy at a different level than I judge a lot of actors and actresses. I think she is capable of so much Uh that when you see her in like what you would call a great performance for many others, I find like mediocre for her. Uh And I kind of agree. I thought she was like, fine. But well, and that that was kind yeah. of Amelia's point, and Amelia was kind of saying, you know, it's nothing wrong with Anna Taylor Joy, but like she's the weakest of the bunch in the menu. And I'm like, that may be true, but like she's stacked up against Ray Fiennes and like all these like really sure, great sure. performances. She's also so. playing the only Normo. In yeah, the she's the straight, yeah. the quote unquote straight man, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, exactly. I think that's right, but. One thing that's interesting about the menu, back to Infinity Pool, and then I even think of a movie, um, this is another one, same trigger warning for you if you haven't seen it, uh, about terrible things happening to children, Um, but uh, the Danish film that came out last year, Speak No Evil. Oh, yeah, you know what, I read read that I had heard it had some craziness, so I actually just cheated and just read the whole recap, because I was like, I know I can't sit through it, I read the whole recap and like, Holy shit! That I I think you could actually handle what happens in Possessor, which mm-hmm. is technically worse, yeah, than what happens in the menu because it is so. You mean speak no evil. Speak no evil. Right. Or in, speak no evil. I'm yeah, sorry. Yeah. yeah. Um, because it is so the way it's shot, the just the performance, the way it comes out of nowhere, it is so fucking horrifying and speak yeah. no evil and after this movie where kind of nothing is really ha- but there's this sense of dread throughout the movie and then when it finally happens it is just it's so you, bad i felt like like i have a strong like constitution for fucked up shit movies and i felt like someone just reached down my throat and ripped my guts out yeah like, in yeah. the menu did not quite have that feeling when no, the terrible thing happens in possessor you know why Well, all right, wait a second. So the menu, the movie ends with a spark of hope. Okay, the Uh we've got our final girl. She gets away. Like you think, okay, everything's gonna be okay at least for her. She's right. Redemption. Speak no evil. There is no redemption. There is no hope. It just ends, and you're like, ugh, everything's awful. Right? Yeah. Speak. Speak no evil is awful. Um, I think I said the menu again. I meant possessor. The terrible thing that happens in possessor is technically worse than what happens in speak no evil but it's just worse when you see it speak no evil is just more horrifying um but you're right like and again i guess i'll throw in a little spoiler warning warning for the menu but like it doesn't end on a completely bleak note and the menu is much more like i mean it's a horror movie but it's also much more black comedy than any of these other ones you know what yes i thought menu was like full black comedy because i mean it's i mean it's, it's hilarious like it's, it's super funny <laughs> i think it is 
It was fucking funny. Yeah. Yeah. But like there's all these movies, and then I would even go back a few years. Did you ever see The Invitation? Um the You've Karen told Kusama? me about it. You know what? I'm gonna um, wait, I have a I have to tell you. Um, so you said the invitation. Right around the time you told me about this movie, The Invitation, there were like six other movies called The Invitation on uh-huh. Netflix. And one of them was like a sexy vampire drama. And one not of them was one. right. And I was like, I'm pretty sure that's not the one Scotty wants me to watch. I'll, I'll send you the link so you know, okay. so you watch the right one. Yeah. Um, it's the Karen Kusama film. I want to say it came out in 2015. There's, there's a thing happening in horror that I'm kind of like pretty down with, which is like, it's class-based horror, so it's like horror about the upper crust. Mm-hmm. And like when you get to a movie like The Menu or Infinity Pool, it's very much about like the relationship between the uppers and the lowers, you know? Yeah. But it's also like when you watch The Invitation, which is like a bunch of kind of upscale Hollywood people, or uh, Speak No Evil, which is these kind of like sort of upper middle class Europeans, you know? Mm-hmm. These are horror, it's like polite horror. It's like yeah. horror of manners. It's like what happens when you're like, you know something's wrong, but you're you're conditioned to like not rock the boat. Right. It's the imprisonment of good manners. Yeah. Yes. Exactly. Absolutely. Yeah. And I feel like Infinity Infinity Pool has that, but then there's also like the wish fulfillment of like, what if we just dropped the good manners and just did whatever the fuck we want? Yeah. You know? Mm-hmm. Yep. There is an element of Infinity Pool that's kind of playing with our like, would I do that? If it was that easy, you know, right. just go to an ATM machine and you can buy your way out of anything. Like, you know, how far down. And that's where, like, the question of identity, because, like, we, I think, are kind of in agreement that at least we like the interpretation that it's the clones that are surviving. But you could also say it's just like going through this experience of, like, having no consequences. Well, yeah, I mean, the the other half of Infinity Pool, let's say maybe I've bought into the obvious conclusion, which maybe the obvious conclusion is that he's a clone. Maybe Uh the not obvious conclusion is that he is the original who Uh has just been allowed to be so feral. That it's, it's that again, like you said, it's the ego away. Right. He knows that he can no longer ingrain himself back into polite culture because now he's allowed himself to shirk the rules of polite society for too long. You know, and now he's it becomes kind of almost more of a Lord of the Flies kind of thing. It's like his true human nature was revealed kind of thing. So I like that it's left. I still, I think, just the horror guy in me. I like the idea that it's the clones that are sure, cause it's, going out in the fun, world. Yeah. Yeah, that's a fun narrative. Exactly. But I, li- I like that he leaves a lot of room where you can go either way on that. Um mm-hmm. So yeah, Infinity Pool. I would say like that, like Skinnamarink. I think let's invent a totally arbitrary rating system for the movies okay. we've watched. Okay. <laughs> Completely fucking arbitrary based on Perfect. nothing. Skin <clears throat> I would give it five severed thumbs up. <laughs> <laughs> I like uh, that. That will be the, uh, uh, out of how many, uh, uh five out of think, five? okay. Well, um, I'm going to give it a five out of five. I okay. fucking loved this movie on a very like intense level. I think I'm going to give it three severed thumbs up and then one thumb that's kind of hanging by a flap of skin so almost four you know yeah. <laughs> um i would i mean i would definitely give uh infinity pool five that's, that's a whole solid five thumbs up for me you know what i'm gonna i would give infinity pool a four thumbs up okay i'll get a four yeah and only because i'm i'm weighing it against things like 
Yeah. Um, that like I just I would give it 15 severed thumbs up. Yeah, I, I, I got a reserve judgment on Suspiria out of fairness just because I gotta finish the movie. But it, yeah. it's looking like a five seven thumbs for me. Cool. Like I'm I'm feeling that. There's something about these movies like the menu, like you you've talked about elevated horror. And I, just full disclosure, I love elevated horror, I love splatter horror, I love like uh classic horror, I love all of it. Um, but what I love about you know, some of these, what you would call, I guess, elevated horror movies is there's like an extra level of ambition to them mm-hmm. where it's not just as, as much as I love, let's take a movie like A Quiet Place. Uh-huh. Yep. Good, like, no complaints about that movie. Good. Yeah. Solid, Same. fun, alien. But it's kind of like, you know, it, it's doing, it's got a very specific task yeah. <laughs> and it's doing it. Now, I haven't seen the sequel yet, but... um. What I like about a movie like Skinamarink or Infinity Pool or from what I can tell so far, Suspiria or even like a movie like The Menu is these are movies that very much like it's a big swing at something that could be a big miss. It really could not work. Yeah. There's a very like risk of failure. And when you fail pretentiously, it's like the worst kind of failure. (laughs) Like when you fail... And people, it's not just like, oh, that wasn't a great movie, but it's like, oh my God, that was like, what an insufferable prick who made that. Mm-hmm. Like all of these movies could have that, you know, yeah. if they didn't work. And I like, I respect a movie that like is willing to go there and like pull it off, you know? Yeah. You were going to ask me something that I think I cut you off. No, no, uh, I was going to say my issue with A Quiet Place 1 and 2, extremely entertaining, super uh-huh. duper entertained. I wasn't at any point in time scared. Like I wasn't fearful. I was like, you know, okay. And excited, super entertained, but there was never a point in time where any factor of like fear really played into my mindset. So I have Uh trouble throwing that into horror. Like I'd give it like a nice sci-fi genre and, Mm -hmm. and be like, yes, totally entertaining. No complaints, but I just didn't feel horror around I, it. I, I think that I, that's totally fair. I think I probably found A Quiet Place scary and like the surface way you're supposed to find it scary. And then like, oh my God, the thing's coming down the stairs and she's got to be super quiet. You know, like those basic suspense things I thought worked. Yeah. But I agree, like there's something about Infinity Pool or Suspiria from what I've seen so far or like if you go back a few years of the movie, like it follows, you know, it's like, there's just this like dread, mm-hmm. you know, that, that is that like, it's very unique to horror, you know, a suspense movie, like a Bourne movie might be quote scary and that you're worried about Jason Bourne. And is he going to like defeat the bad guy or, you know, <laughs> is he going to punch his not. way out of another situation? Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like, is the other guy going to punch a martyr? You know, like what, you know, I, I sure hope he's the most punchy of all the punchy guys. Like, <laughs> um, but like, there's not that like existential dread, you know, yeah. but like, I don't know if reality is what, I, I expected it to be yeah and yeah. like that's what i think the best kind of horror does is it's it's the disorientation creates like a, a deeper sense of unsafety you know mm-hmm. where it's not just about surviving the monster but it's about like is the world what i think it is mm-hmm. you know that's why going back to ari aster who you know uh-huh. 
understand real hard. That's why I fucking love his movies. Because mm-hmm. I think he makes you question, like, it's a, it's a normal world you're in. Like, you know that you're in a normal world. But then it makes you question what the fuck is going on around you. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, I'm very excited to see Bo is Afraid. I, I, I am too. I'm, I'm in fact thinking I'm going to try and see it next week. I just haven't had a chance. In fact, you know what we should, we, we had an idea for uh, one of our upcoming episodes with you on, but I'm going to throw in another idea. I think we need to do an Ari Aster show. And yeah. part of it is we watch Bo is Afraid. I, I know for you that with a kid, that's probably harder to get out in the world and do stuff. So we'll, we'll, we'll push that I'll off whenever out. you're ready. All right. I'll figure it out. And then I'll do a rewatch of Midsummer because as I think you and I discussed, I didn't love Midsummer. I loved Hereditary. I liked Midsummer a lot. I know you liked it a lot more than I did. And I fucking loved Hereditary. I fucking loved it. I thought it was fantastic. Mm -hmm. So yeah, let's do it. Let's do a thing where we unpack our because I do I do feel like my reaction to Midsummer was as much me as it was the movie. Like Mm -hmm. it was just for whatever reason the headspace i was in was not on the wavelength of that movie yeah. but i feel like like when i go back and think about that movie i'm like i think a second watch i really kind of suspect i'll like it better you know so, what I, did? I liked it so much i do i do this thing where i like hyper fixate on a movie and i have to read everything about it i have to read uh-huh. everybody's on everybody's take on it i want to read every review of it and i did that with midsummer and i think that i was able to unpack a lot of like the psychology behind what was happening less so than like the ritualistic stuff, which was Uh the baseline horror, but unpacking a lot of the psychology behind it. I think also, did he do the witch? No, that was David Eggers. All right. Second real time fact check. I meant Robert Eggers. Obviously Dave Eggers is the guy who wrote heartbreaking work of staggering genius. So totally different dude. Well, we're going to talk about that too. So yeah, well, because um, and we ought to because he's got uh his remake of Nosferatu coming up. Really? It, some I I don't know if they're in post production. I think I mean I think they've already shot it. Um yeah. I don't know, but yeah, that's coming out at some point. Also, did you see? So you I know you really like The Witch. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Did you see The Lighthouse? I which did. Was the second movie. I did. Because that one's much more polarizing than The Witch. I'd be I really thought curious. The Lighthouse was weirdly, really funny. And maybe this is a commentary on how fucked up I am, but I thought that shit was hilarious. I thought it was pretty funny. Okay, we'll have to, we'll, okay, we're coming up with like episodes for down the road because I do want to oh. talk about that with you. Okay, good. But I think, well, on that note, uh, we ought to probably uh, call it. it so I have not come up with like a clever like sign off. Like Amelia has her whole stay weird, stay curious on the weirdest thing. And I don't have anything like that. I'll maybe come up with something, but. Uh, for now, thanks, Andy, for coming on <laughs> the very first episode of Horror, in the High, or Horror from the High Desert. And yeah, we'll have you back on soon. <laughs> All right. Well, that is the very first episode of Horror from the High Desert. I'm your host, Scotty Milder. Thank you guys so much for uh, tuning in. And uh, so on the next episode, we're going to have author Douglas Ford. Um, he wrote things like The Beasts of Vasaria County. A little Lugosi. He just put out a new novella from Madness Heart Press. It's called Babel. Um, it's awesome. You guys really should. 
go check that out. You can find it either on Amazon or for like a super cheap ebook over on Godless. So uh, definitely check that out. Uh, he's going to be on here in a couple weeks. If you get a chance, please uh, rate, review, subscribe to the show. Um, I want to keep doing this. I'm going to try and be getting a whole bunch of really awesome guests on here. So if you uh, want to, you know, support indie horror, indie horror authors, yeah. Uh, spread the word, tell your friends, and until next time, uh, goodbye.